0: I want to begin this morning by telling you a story. It's an old, old story. A story that some of you have heard before, and for some of you, you'll hear it afresh for the first time this morning. It's a story about a man of influence and power. Man who by all worldly perspectives had achieved the pinnacle of success. It's the story of an entrepreneur who was committed to do whatever it takes to make his enterprise successful, and what it would take was everything. He found himself consumed with his work, 12, 14 hours a day, weekends, pouring himself into his work. His work became not only his occupation, but in fact, it was his preoccupation. His wife would frequently try to get him to slow down to remind him that he had a family and his kids would complain about wanting to play ball or eat lunch together, read books or just just hang out and spend some time with dad. And he believed in his heart and they were his values and he really knew that those things were significant and important and he wanted to do them but somehow never found it to the time. So eventually, they stopped complaining because they simply stopped expecting. And he'd say to himself, you know, I'll be more available to my family in six months or so. Just as soon as things settle down. In fact, that was one of his favorite phrases. When things... Settle down. And although he was an intelligent and gifted and capable and successful man, somehow he never seemed to notice that things never settle down. So one day early in the morning he had a a twinge in his chest. His wife made an appointment with the doctor, and they told him that he had a slight heart attack. He had a high blood pressure, high cholesterol. He needed to make some changes in his life. And for a little while, the scare of the word heart attack had enough impetus in his life so that he made some small adjustments and he began to make. Some changes in his lifestyle, but pretty soon the symptoms and the pain went away. And so did his motivation to change. And besides, he told himself, "There'll be time for all of that when things settle down." Then one day, a coworker came to see him, the comptroller of the company. He told him, you are not going to believe this. Things are booming and we can hardly keep up. It's like a miracle. This is our chance to strike the mother load. But we're going to have to make some major changes. We've got inventory headaches. Demand is outstripping supply. Our software is outdated. And if we don't overhaul things from top to bottom, it's going to be a disaster. And from that time on, he was like a man possessed. He worked day and night to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's going to... He decided and determined that he would put his company through a technological revolution. And he told his wife when, when, he comes, when he came home, you know what this means, don't you? Once we do this, our future is set. Because I've anticipated every contingency. I've covered every base. We are going to be secure. We'll be able to take vacation. We're going to be able to slow down. Things are going to finally settle down. And she smiled at him. But she didn't say anything. Because she'd heard it all before. And she didn't get her hopes up. One night, about 11 p.m., She was heading up the stairs to bed and she poked her head in the study and said to her husband, are you going to come on up with me, honey? And he said, you go ahead, I'll be up in just a few minutes. At three in the morning, she woke up and realized that she was in bed alone. So she went downstairs to the study and she saw her husband with his head in his arms on the keyboard. She thought to herself, he's just like a little kid. And rather than taking the energy and the effort to actually get up and come up to bed, he'd rather just fall asleep at his computer. So she walked over to wake him up and when she touched his arm, she realized that it was cold. Immediately, she picked up her phone and called 911, and the paramedics came, and when they got there, they said, he's already gone. He had a massive heart attack. He died Instantly. There's nothing that could have been done. His death is a major story in the financial community. There's obituaries in the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Forbes. It was really too bad that he was dead because he would have loved to have read what they wrote about him. They had a major memorial service for him and the whole financial community filed by the casket. And they all said the same thing that they always say when they file by the casket. And that is, he looks so peaceful. Well, yes. When you're dead, life has a way of becoming very tranquil things settle way, way down. And he was eulogized. And all of the folks began to speak. He was one of the leading entrepreneurs, an innovator, develop, innovative developer of new technologies and delivery systems, a man of principle, a straight arrow. He wouldn't cheat on his business, his taxes, or his wife. Others talked about his civic achievements. He was a networker. He knew everyone. And they put up this memorial stone when they came to the cemetery. And on it, they wrote all of these words. Entrepreneur. Innovator. Visionary. Pillar. Networker. Success. And then they all went home. And late, late that night, when the cemetery was empty and dark, unseen, unheard, the angel of the Lord came and went past all of the other markers and memorials and tombstones and went to the site of this freshly dug grave. And with his finger, the angel of the Lord wrote the final word on this tombstone. God's estimation of this man's life. And he wrote these words. You fool.
1: You fool. Kind of harsh.
0: But it isn't God doing name calling. But rather, it is a tragically accurate diagnosis. For it is possible as a human being to go through life so preoccupied with building our kingdom that we forget what is truly important And neglect to prepare for the one eventuality that every single one of us will face. And that is the reality of death. This morning we are beginning a series that will take us through the month of May. And the series is entitled, One Month to Live. What would you do if you had one month to live? What if you learned that you had just one month? How would your life be different? How would it change your perspective? How might it influence your priorities? How would it transform your interpersonal relationships? What would you do if you knew that you only had one month to live. This morning, the message is entitled, Live the Dash. Live the Dash. Let me explain. I want to begin with a... Scripture here from Psalm chapter 90. The length of our days is 70 years. Or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Listen carefully. Teach us. Say it with me, please. Teach us. Say it again. Teach us us what? Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So, what does it mean to live the dash? Well, if you've ever seen a memorial marker go through any cemetery, you'll see something like this. There's a birth date. And there's a death date. And what's in between? The dash. What do you do in between? That birth date and that death date. That's. What we're talking about this morning. We're talking about living the dash and living a life of wisdom. So what does it mean to live the dash? If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 12. The story I began with this morning, and if Yes, I love the sound of hearing that. If you don't have your Bible, pull this one out right from in front of you. Turn to the third book of the New Testament, the third Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. That's after Matthew and Mark and before John. Turn to the twelfth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Beginning in verse 13, and this is where we began this morning with the story I shared. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself... You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? For this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. If you go through here, the personal pronoun I and my is used like 12 times by the rich fool. Because he thought, it's all about me. Oh, but would we allow the Lord to put his sword in our own hearts to say, oh God, how much have I made it all about me? So what does it mean to live in the dash? Well, as we go on in the Scripture, I think it's going to give us some insights. Let's go on in verse 22. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or about your body what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not... Uh, "...sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds! Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow." They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first thing that living in the dash means, it means to live in the present. You've all heard the saying, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. It means to live in the present by being focused. Now it's interesting. If you study the word worry, and this... This was new information to me. Maybe it will be to you as well. The writ connotation of the word worry means to divide or to separate or to distract. What worry does in our lives is it gives us double vision. It blurs our vision. We are no longer able to see Clearly. Because the focus and attention of our heart is divided and separated. We become, in the words of James, a double-minded person. And the antidote... that i mean jesus gets after that when he says you know he talks about don't worry don't worry about what you're going to eat or wear those things and 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 tom as he shared this morning right before the offering how many food in our fridge and clothes on our back and how much god provides for us i mean it it distorts worry distorts our perspective on ourselves and on god and on his goodness But Jesus here gives the antidote to that division in our heart, to that separation, to that distraction. He says, Be focused on the kingdom of God that is here and now. Seek first the kingdom, seek his kingdom. Well, how do I do that? How do I seek the kingdom of God? Well, I begin to take notice of where God is at work around me. Have you ever, you know, if you've ever gotten, uh, let's just say, a a new vehicle. If you've ever gotten a new vehicle, all of you have had this experience. You get a new vehicle and suddenly everywhere where you drive, you realize everybody else has the same exact new vehicle that you do. Why? Because now you're suddenly noticing. A great deal of seeking the kingdom of God is just beginning to notice where he is and where he is at work. Many, many years ago... Those of you that have been a part of the congregation for a long time, or maybe you've been a part of a congregation where they've done the 50-day spiritual adventures, one of, the, one of their uh, things that they encourage you to do is to go on a daily God hunt. The discipline of beginning to hunt for God. Look for an obvious answer to prayer, an unexpected evidence of God's care, an unusual linkage or timing. A particular way in which suddenly you notice God drawing you into a particular place and putting you right at the right place at the right time. Go on a God hunt. Just begin to notice. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then he gives a couple of other very practical things for us to do. I mean, this comes in the context of Jesus talking about economics because economics affects all of our lives all over the world through all time. It's a part of the system in which we live. And he says, I want to turn your economic system upside down. Instead of worrying about how much you're going to get, switch your attention to how much you're going to be able to give. In fact, I want you to divest yourselves in order to invest yourselves into my kingdom and my kingdom work. It gets kind of radical. Sell all your possessions, give it away. And begin to invest because where your treasure is. Now this is very interesting. This is a whole sermon in itself and I won't go there. But notice he doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure also be. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. What you invest in is where your heart's going to go. So begin to live in the presence. Be focused on the kingdom of God in the here and now. But he goes on. This is all part of the same context. This is all part of the same teaching. And by the way, did you notice the shift in verse 22? We probably passed right over it and you didn't even notice it. Before Jesus had been talking to the crowds, then it says, Jesus said to his disciples, he's talking to us. (laughs) He's talking to those who are followers of Christ. He's not just talking to the world out there and saying, you know, you need... He's talking to us. Live in the present. And then He says in verse 35, Be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamp burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready... Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It would be good for that servant when the master finds whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of and will cut him into pieces and assign him a place of the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be Living in the dash means living in the present, and it also means living for the future. C.S. Lewis said, aim for earth, and that's what you'll get. Aim for heaven and get earth thrown in. Aim for heaven. Once again, the issue is our focus. How many of you remember when you first learned how to drive a car, if you're that old? It's a very scary prospect, but my third daughter is preparing this. She can't wait till this summer because she'll be able to start getting her permit. All moms and dads know the wonder of that moment. But if you remember when you first started driving, do you remember how you wanted to stay on the road, in the center of the road? And the way you would do that is you would look right in front of you to try to stay on the road. And you know what happened pretty quick? You were constantly, what, oversteering all the time. So what did the, I remember this back when I was 16 and my driver's ed teacher, you know what he said to do? Now, this was in the day, I'm old, okay? So this is the day when they had like actual hood ornaments in front. Remember those? Anybody remember hood ornaments in the front of the car? Okay. So what did they tell you to do? They said, take and sight. From where you are, and sight over the hood ornament, and look to the side of the the line on the side of the road. And if you do that, if you sight that far ahead, you'll stay in the center of the road. That's really what this is about. It's about getting our perspective up and looking further, and higher, and farther, in order that we won't end up constantly oversteering in the here and now but will be con- we'll, we will continue to be focused on the kingdom of God which is also near and soon for the kingdom is already and it's not yet it's here and it's coming and so what does he tell us to do he says be attentive be faithful stay alert And continue to do the purposes for which God has called you to do. Stay awake and stay engaged. And God will honor that commitment and that servant who is willing to do that. This morning, I've asked Jeannie Swenson to come and share her testimony. And, uh, you know, many of you in this house know Jeannie. She's one of our leaders here. And uh, she is a living example of someone who lives the dash. And so I've asked her to share her testimony a bit about her accident and, and the change that that brought in terms of her, spec- her perspective, her priorities, and how she has been and continues to live in the dash. Get back up a little bit, then I can sit. Right here, in all this. Oh,
1: there we go. All right. Hey, well, Pastor Jim asked me to, to share, like he said, how my disability has affected my perspective on life. And so I'll share a little bit about that. Um, It's great to see all you college students here, and I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to honor you. Um, College was a very special time for me because although I was brought up in a Christian home, that's where I really deepened my relationship with God, and I'm so grateful for those days. Um, After college, I graduated and taught elementary school for a while and then got involved in an urban youth ministry. And um, I loved both of those careers, um, but then something happened that totally changed my life. Um, I was in a car accident, and my neck was broken, and I became paralyzed from the shoulders down and um, I spent the next year and a half in and out of hospitals and rehab centers, dealing with medical problems and learning how to live as a quadriplegic and That was a very difficult time for me, but I'm so grateful for the support of my family and friends and my church. And, you know, the church is so important. I went to a different church at the time, but they really rallied behind me with, you know, prayer and coming to the hospital. And it actually got to be kind of a joke at the nurse's station. I had so many visitors that they had to put up a sign this way to Gene Swenson's room. So... (laughs) So, um, you know, that's that's what the body of Christ does, and I experienced that. Well, the first few months after my injury, I really didn't believe that my injury would be permanent. But then after three months, the hospital let me home on a pass, and that's where reality hit, because everything around me was a reminder of things I'd no longer be able to do, like I'd see the piano and realize I'd never play that again. Or I'd walk, roll through the kitchen and remember how much I used to love to cook. Or I'd see all my medical equipment and be reminded um, that I was no longer independent. And um, at that time, I fell into a, a deep depression and I really thought my life was over. And there were moments when I really wanted to die. But again, through the love and support of other people and God's faithfulness, um, he brought me out of that depression and has really given me a very full, rich life. And um, of course I'm, I'm hoping and praying that someday I might be cured or healed. Um, but I also believe what God says in Romans 8.28, that, I sure am getting tired. What's that? No, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but when people hold the phone for me, they always have to change hands because it is, it's okay. tiring. Yeah. It's um, right. <laughs> okay. Um, Romans eight twenty eight says that we know God works for good in all things for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So He has been using this for good. And then the next verse says, what His purpose is is to conform us to the image of His Son. And so God has been using. My disability to conform me to the image of his son and um, he's been teaching me a lot of things and I'd like to share a few of those things well first of all I've been learning just how faithful God is and that he really does care about me just like we heard in the message how he cares about everything before my accident I was pretty independent or so I thought yeah I think we all think we are but we're really not um, but Now I know that I have to depend on God just every day, in fact, even every hour, just to survive. Um, But I've learned that his grace is sufficient for me. In 2 Corinthians, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I've learned that the more I understand my weakness, the more I have to depend on him, and the more that he can do in me and through me. And um, my disability is also forcing me to have a much more eternal perspective on life. Before my accident, I didn't really think that much about life or death or life after death. But facing occasional life-threatening medical problems has really forced me to realize how short life can be. In, uh, for example, a few years ago, I was admitted to the hospital with pneumonia. And I'm so grateful that my attendant agreed to spend the night in the hospital room with me because I woke up and I wasn't able to breathe. And we put on the call light and no one came and no one came. And uh, so she ran out and, and got help. And they were able to, you know, just as I was going out, they were able to um, do whatever they do to revive me. And it turned out that there had been a change of shift and the nurse on duty thought she'd just let the next person take over. So if my attendant had not been there that night, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Of course, I might be in a better place, but that wasn't my time, so. But um, truly, um, you know, living, okay, living with physical um, limitations has made heaven and my new body very, very inviting. I'm really looking forward to that. And um, I can identify with Paul when he says in Second Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18, this is like my life verse. I just love this passage. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed every day. For this slight momentary affliction... Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison, because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That'd be great if you could. Yeah. Well, put both of your arms. That's okay. <laughs> If If you need someone to, good. okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this this verse tells me that the challenges and afflictions that I face in this life really are slight and momentary compared to eternity. And therefore, I want my life to count for eternity. So you see, I have a choice. I can either give my life to things that are temporary or to things that are eternal. In fact, Bill Gothard's definition of security is, building my life around what is eternal and cannot be destroyed or taken away. Now I'm gonna say that again, I really like that. Security is building my life around what is eternal and cannot be destroyed or taken away So what kinds of things are eternal? Well, the three things the Bible mentions are God God's Word and people And since these are the things that are eternal Those are the things I want to focus my life on now while I'm able things like developing my relationship with God studying and learning his word, building it into my life, and helping other people come to know God and building his word into their lives. You know, it's interesting. As I was preparing this talk, I was interrupted a couple times. And I think both of these interruptions were very significant to the message we heard today from Pastor Jim. The first interruption consisted of one of my attendants bringing into my office a big box of stuff, Stuff that my mom had found down the basement. And um, it was filled with all kinds of stuff that I didn't know what to do with, so I just put it in this box. Stuff that I would never use. But um, my first response was, I'm busy now, just put it back down the basement. But then the Lord's conviction came on me. And I I really felt convicted to the point where I started crying and had to ask him to forgive me again for accumulating stuff. And so instead of putting it down the basement, we went through the box and I started putting post-it notes with names of people that I knew would want certain items and the rest I put in a bag for the Goodwill, which Kim was gonna take down there. And so, um, but to me it was just a real reminder that my life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. And then um, the second interruption was a phone call from a quadriplegic acquaintance that I rarely talk with. So his call was really out of the blue and God's timing was perfect on this. He began to share some of his frustrations with being a quadriplegic and some of the medical problems that he was dealing with. And he said that, that many of these problems he had brought on himself because of his addictive behaviors. And you know, it, it's sad, he's a believer And he has a lot of regrets about the choices he's made. And so, you know, I I told him I'm going to be sharing this testimony, and I asked if he would be willing to share with me some of the things that he's learned as he's looked back on his life. And he gave me permission to share. And, you know, he didn't hear Pastor Jim's message, but it's just um, really neat how uh, how it, it really fits in. So my attendant actually wrote these things down as he shared with me. He said, number one, he'd listen to God. He'd listen to his parents and people who are older and have experience. He'd listen more and talk less. Are you hearing a pattern? (laughs) He said his life is short and can be taken away any time. Every night when he goes to bed, he realizes he could die in his sleep of a heart attack or a stroke, brought about by his smoking. And that's what he said. He said, no amount of money can buy your health, but even more importantly, no amount of money can buy your soul. And finally he said, it's not good to procrastinate. (laughs) Well, I believe his phone call was a divine interruption from God. You know, God has a way of interrupting us when necessary because he doesn't want us to waste our lives or the opportunities he gives us. To seek first his kingdom and him. Are you listening?
0: Thank you, Jean. All right. So, live the dash. Show me, O oh Lord, my life's end. And the number of my days Let me know how fleeting is my life You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you Each man's life is but a breath Selah. Man is a mere phantom As he goes to and fro He bustles about but only in vain He heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it But now Lord what do I look for My hope is in you The Encouragement today is to live today in light of tomorrow. Live today in light of tomorrow. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to ask the elders and ministry coordinators who are here. Some of them are traveling, I know, and some are at the women's retreat, but those of you that are here, please come, if you would, right now, to help me as we come to the table this morning. As we do, let me just mention to you in your bulletin this morning, you've got a card, which I would encourage you to invite a friend to uh, welcome somebody to come alongside and to be a part of the um, study that we are doing for these next, uh, for this month. Today, of course, we've looked at Living the Dash. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Loving Completely. And Marie Wong, who has over the last several years um, been battling uh, breast cancer and recently went through a procedure again just this past week um, for Mother's Day is gonna be sharing uh, with us as well, her testimony about loving completely. On the 16th of May, we have the privilege of Dr. K. Muralidhar who is from India, who is um, the key point person um, building this hospital and medical clinic For folks in a tribal region, uh, Dr. K could be be living the life of full worldly success. He's a brilliant doctor and has chosen to truly live his life in priority to the kingdom and the pursuit and purposes of God. The 23rd, Pentecost Sunday, living passionately and finally on Memorial Day Sunday, leave a legacy. So I encourage you, I encourage you to bring and welcome your friends to come and to join us as we together continue to press in and press out into the purposes of God.